wonderful atmosphere here this morning and a wonderful atmosphere of worship. You worship well here, and I know the Lord is pleased with that. And it's all for the purpose of creating an atmosphere for the word to come forth. And then we can worship yet again in the atmosphere of the word coming forth. Uh, God bless you. We're so happy to be here again this morning. And we've considered it a great privilege uh, to be a part of this spring camp. Uh, one of three camps you're having this year. And uh, and I'm just so happy to be a part of two of them. And uh, whether I'm here or not, I'll be part of the third one. And uh, praying for you and desiring that God would speak to your hearts in a tremendous way and do many wonderful, mighty things in your midst. Because one thing's for sure that you have to understand is we're not in a sprint. This race is not a sprint. And uh, where we get the grandiose expectations that short circuit the work of God is when we think it's all going to be figured out in one weekend. And uh, and then um, we've and we can uh, be perfect and start creating squirrels on Monday. But that's not the way that this works. It is a it is a marathon of a daily life, living out the word and letting it be expressed. Just as the Messiah came and he lived a 33 years and um, he, he was the father unfolding as a narrative. Our lives likewise are going to unfold as a narrative of Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today and forever. And so as we go through the next weeks and months, when you come to another camp, realize it's just all part of that narrative unfolding. It's not all going to be figured out in one weekend or one service, but they all work together to achieve God's perfect will. So we're so happy that you have these opportunities and we are tremendously blessed and privileged, my wife and I and our family, to be a part of them. We bring greetings to you from the Saints at Christian Life Tabernacle in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And greetings from our family and especially from Brother David and Sister Leslie. They send their love and greetings to you. And then also uh, greetings from my father-in-law, Brother John Martin. He's a pastor of a church in Fenton, Michigan. Pastors send the light there. He wanted to send his love and greetings to you as well. And especially to Brother Biscoe and the church family here. Uh, you're loved deeply by people all over the world uh, for the work that you've done and what you've stood for. And I've really had it on my heart to say this, and I trust that it's all right to say this. I mentioned it Friday night that I've been impressed um, about just the, the thought of a legacy and how a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And you have are a part of a great legacy. We're part of the legacy of this message, part of the legacy of Jesus Christ. And you're also the legacy of a, of a burden and a labor that Brother Biscoe has undertaken in for many, many decades. And God impressed it upon my heart over the last few months ministering for the camp and then afterwards knowing these meetings were coming and i just began to ponder just the influence and the impact that brother biscoe has had in the message and i believe that he's a he's a part of it um he was in a he was in the vision and that brought him into the vision there's not many people that i hear take the pulpit and preach the word of god and unfold the word of god whose hands were in the vision and uh, and whose life was important in that vision and there's been things in my life that Brother Biscoe has ministered that have connected the picture of this message. Uh, one even in how he shares his own testimony, how Brother Branham, as a prophet, the chronology isn't always just exact and perfect. And says, did you get my tape on anointed ones? And he had yet to preach it. But yet that's, that shows the mind of God isn't bound by chronology and, and the, the sequence of things. And, and then also to understand that we're not waiting around for Brother Branham to go bear hunting. The vision came to pass just exactly. And so you find that God had a witness. He had a witness 
uh, that would help bring these things together and open these things up to us. And I believe that Brother Branham uh, had this friend that, that came to him and he, had, he knew that he would have a great part in continuing the legacy of the message. And I believe that we have an unbroken chain of faith from the prophet to ministers of this gospel who are connected with that prophet that have kept the revelation of Jesus Christ alive and we are benefited from it today. We're not getting it secondhand from somebody's explanation. And I would encourage you, all of you, especially you young people, to go listen to three messages over the next few months if you get a chance. Three messages that your pastor preached. One is on the mercy seat in 2007. Or I believe that was in 2009. He preached on the mercy seat. And he preached, moved by the Holy Ghost in the bride age. November November 11th, 2011, um, uh, 2007. The expression of his coming, July 6, 2008, and the mercy seat, March 15, 2009. Go listen to those. Moved by the Holy Ghost in the bright age. The expression of his coming in the mercy seat. And, and know, you understand what this church has been lifting up, what it's been standing for, and these great truths that are precious to us. Because one thing that we've got to continue to do and not water down is these truths that have been lifted up by Brother Branham. And, and, and hold to them, even if they're assailed and even if they're ridiculed, even if they're misunderstood, stand for them. Amen. Because they're part of the, 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 the part of the message that's going to get us out of here. And I believe that Brother Biscoe's uh, ministry and, and what he's taught and what he stood for is just as relevant today as it's ever been. And I appreciate the family of God keeping that legacy alive. Uh, thank you for giving me the liberty to share those things as we felt it impressed upon our heart. Now, if we could turn to 1 Samuel 17. I was having a, a conversation with Brother Ryan Hayes this morning just by text message. And he commented how that, uh, at least he, he said, we love how you sing every song we sing higher. He said, we love it. So I don't know who the we is in that. But I trust you don't mind that I tend to take things maybe up a, another octave. We'll just blame it on the third pull, right? Brother Bram said, you notice that? It went an octave higher. And so... I apologize if I don't sing songs the way you sing them or even in the key you sing them. Um, so you just know how to pray for me. First Samuel 17. I'm, I just have so much on my heart this morning as you, you help me walk through these things. I know God will be lifted up. And I want to take this because we want to come to this at the end this morning. Or it'll be this afternoon. First Samuel 17 verse 15. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So once again, David, after he's anointed king, he was called out of his field tending sheep, was anointed king, went back to tending the sheep, was called to, um, to minister to Saul, and when he was done, went back to tending sheep. So always going right back to what he was, what his position was, what his duty was. So he went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. That, that Philistine is Goliath. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put their ba- the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And he talked with them. And behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. David hadn't heard them yet. But all those other men that were there at the battle, they had heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And verse 25 is the answer to that as it said, they'll enrich him because David stood by and he asked all these men who are running and who are scared. Who is this one that defies? What's going to be done to the man that kills this guy? Because this guy's standing here defying the armies of the living God. And as you read it, you find that they knew exactly what David was saying. What will you give me when I kill this man? Because immediately they turned him to Saul and began to speak uh, to Saul about the matter. And we'll maybe pick up more on that here in a little bit. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this wonderful weekend that we've had together. Lord, I know in the spiritual realm, this the great warfare that's been taking place. And I have felt it as a tremendous weight and burden in my personal life, Lord, for weeks. And Father, we know just as Brother Tom expressed last night about how the prophet had a vision of a great revival and the intellectual missed it. And Father, it was that little girl coming to the Lord. And Father, I know there's many that, maybe not many, Lord, but some who sit amongst us who are still wanting to see something emotional. And Lord, we know that intellectual faith um, gives birth is an emotional faith. Lord, we do not want intellectual faith, Father. We want the faith of the elect. We want a word faith. And we believe that word faith brings word results. And it will bring the right kind of emotions. And it will bring healings. And it will bring manifestations. And Lord, it can cause many supernatural things to happen in our midst. But Lord, we want it to be you moving in our midst, bringing your word to pass. Father, take the things which will be shared this morning. Give them uh, relevance in our lives, Father, for the gospel today. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'd like to just jump right in into what is my my thought uh, today on farmers in the rapture. And we're speaking along the lines of trying to ins- wanting to inspire you in the light of the age that you're living in now. And we have been... Looking at it from the standpoint of after God does move in a very sovereign and supernatural way and you experience a move of God, whether it be in a church service that takes place on a regular basis here 
or a camp service like we had in the winter, or even a camp service that you'll have uh, coming up in July and August. The very supernatural things take place, uh, things that are even visible and things that are very outstanding, whether it be healings. Uh, um, there's discernments that take place in prayer lines. Um, there are There's manifestations that we can see that are nothing other than God visiting his people, performing the supernatural. And then we can ask the question on that Monday, now what? Now what? Now that God has moved. Brother Branham makes this statement after he's taken his text in Power of Transformation. He says, now that we have been saved as we are and that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit as we have. Now we want the mind that was in Christ to be in us. And we, I believe it's in Christ as the mystery of God revealed that he speaks about the intelligence has come. The headship has come. And so the intelligence, the mind of Christ has come to us. It is that quickening power at the opening of the seals. And so he's saying now that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit as we have, now there's something that transpires in the Holy Spirit for believers' life where now we want the mind that was in Christ to be in us that we might be transformed from the natural things of life and be brought in to do the perfect will of God by transformation of God's spirit by his word. That's what we want to happen is we want now that we've been saved as we have now that we've been filled with the Holy Ghost as we have now we want the mind of Christ to be in us and it's going to be the mind of Christ which is the word of God the mind of Christ in us that's going to transform us from natural things to be brought in to do the perfect will of God and that takes place by the power of transformation that is in you. At home, we have, uh, we, when we do family devotions, we do maybe many different ways. And here recently, my, one of my sons, actually Preston and Elliot both expressed the desire to do the family devotion. And so Elliot was inspired to do a family devotion. So he was wanting to study and he had his Bible out and he was studying. And I said, would you like to look up some quotes? And so I showed him how to use the table to look up some quotes. And he began to look up some quotes. And I had kind of left the room. And not too many minutes later, he came walking in the room. He goes, Mom, I'm trying to study and the kids are being loud. (laughs) I thought, well, praise the Lord. That worked out a lot better than I thought it would. Now I've got Elliot on my side. And in his, in the devotion, and he came out just a little bit later and says, Dad, I got it. First quote, man, I got it. I've got what I need. And he shared that night on how all things, he took from Romans, all things work together for the good. And he said, but then it says in Romans chapter 12, um, that we ought to present our lives as a reasonable, as a sacrifice that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he said, all things work together for the good, but you've got to have the proof of that good in your life. I thought, that's good. That's real good. I wrote it down. I got it in my notes. Not this morning. I wrote it down in my, where I take my notes when I listen to the ser- uh, sermon being preached. And listen, all things work together for the good. That means God will always take the bad, whatever it is, and for the elect's sake, use it for good. But in the equation of good becoming uh, bad becoming good, you don't always want to be the bad. You want to be the good. You want the, it to work, be tra- a transformation take place so that you can be brought to do the perfect will of God by transformation. And we've drawn our inspiration from the questions that Brother Branham were, was asked um, after the opening of the seals or as the seals were being opened. 
And the questions are presenting themselves in the way to say, now what? Now that the seals are open, should we continue in evangelistic service? Now that the seals are opened, is this the dispensation of grace over? And at the beginning of question and answers on the seals, Brother Bram says, now take my advice as your brother. Don't put your own interpretation to anything. You just go on and live a good Christian life. Because you'll only wind yourself away from the real thing when you do it. You'll only wind your way away again, away from the thing. And he goes, and all of you are conscious and know there's something mysterious happening. And it's happening. And I know what it is. He knew what it was. But as he had been given that vision of the first pull, second pull, and then the third pull, he had been cautioned. He had been warned. You've explained this one. You've made too much of that one. He says, but I've been, I've told you before, so just don't try to put any interpretation, but just believe me as your brother. We're living in a great hour. We're living in a time here where the, well, we're, he goes, well, just be real humble, be a Christian and try to live for God and live honest with your fellow man and love those who don't love you. Don't try to make any, he says. He says, you see, you do. You only make it a mysterious something and mess the real program of God up. So the real program of God is going to be uh, finished by you living a good Christian life. The real program of God is going to come to its climax and its, its finality by you just being real humble and trying to live for God and living honestly. And Brother Branham wrote, it's God's intention, because he's talking about the real program of God. It's God in, God's intention for his creation, man, to express his words. Adam was given the word to live by. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. A life lived. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And so when Brother Branham has asked those unique questions uh, in that morning before the seventh seal is preached, he says, if you're planting wheat, plant your wheat. If you're digging potatoes, go on and dig them out. If you're a farmer, put your crop in. If I was a farmer, I'd stay right at my duty. If I'm hoeing potatoes, I'll just keep hoeing away just as hard as I can. He says, dig the potatoes, go to church, be found doing just exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Because if you stop... If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you twist the very thing away from the purpose that it's intended for. So God has intended for your life to be the expression of his program. He has, he has intended that we have, uh, not, not only do we have this born again experience by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which Pentecost is that experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but then that experience would be lived out. Not just a sensation and not just some enthusiasm, but it would be a life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And if we don't live that humble, real Christian life and live for God, then we twist away from the very purpose that the life is intended for. So the the word must be expressed. And if you stop farming, you twist away from the very purpose of farming, which is to express the word. And so as I said Friday night, I really want you to think deeply about what God is wanting you to see by the prophet's answers to these questions because they're for a reason. We mentioned Friday night as well, the two hindrances uh, to the expression of the word or to our own lives is there's a frustration of purpose where we see no purpose in today or we don't see any purpose even to the daily life or even our lives in general. And then also perhaps uh, another hindrance was an unscriptural expectation or an expectation that's been created by man or carnality. And Brother Branham makes this statement in the indictment, which I believe to be a very key sermon 
in that summer of 1963, uh, because he's preaching, he's indicting this generation uh, for the second crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he likens the change that has transpired at this time of the indictment. He likens it to the time of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when the mercy seat, which had been um, had been there hidden behind the veil. It had now changed locations and it's now on the cross. And he said their old form of worship had been done away with. And so the old mercy seat had been done away with, but there still was always a mercy seat. Now it's hanging on the cross and it's that same mercy seat that had always been in motion that ends up going back into heaven. Which was there embodied in Jesus Christ. And now Brother Bram is saying, what happened then has happened again. Same thing has transpired again. And he, and he's indicting this generation for the second crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he says, from then on comes the word and the word only. That means he's gotten rid of man's ideas. He's got rid of the hybrid. He's got rid of the church. Now it's the bride. It's the word in Christ. The word only. And he's speaking of that crucifixion. He says they did it because they didn't know who he was. They didn't know that the vindication of God's word was standing up in that day. So what he's trying to bring in our minds is the vindication of the word standing up. Now it was at one day and that was right. They were right at one time is what he's saying. It was at one day. Just keep the law and them things. But the same laws that they was keeping pointed them to a time That when he would come and be this man that he was supposed to be. So the very thing they were worshiping and the very thing that God had already done, what he had done in the time prior was pointing to what he was doing in that day. And so if they had seen what he was had done, they should have known what he was doing. And if if I could say this, and because they didn't see what he was doing, they weren't there on that day of Pentecost to receive him in the upper room. So you've got to follow him in these transitions and these changes in order to be at the next stop. He says they had this part, but didn't take the other part. And that's the same thing they're doing now. They go to church. They got a church. They believe in Jesus Christ. They say they do and do things, but deny the hour we are living in. Still brings the old proverb back again. Man always praising God for what he has done, looking forward to what he would do or will do and ignoring what he's doing and being condemned by it. Even believing what has been done and looking forward to what he will do, but ignoring what he's doing is the condemnation. Remember, the woman fell by not believing he's the same today. And he said, they think God is wonderful, how great he is, what he's going to do. He's going to come and be a rapture someday and go home. Think very deeply about what he's saying and denying the very signs and wonders right here at the time that the scripture says that he will be doing it. He says before in that day, the same laws they were keeping were pointing to the time that he would come and be the man that he was supposed to be. And and now he says they're denying the signs that the scripture says that he would be doing. And he says, miss the whole thing. If you don't see this, you miss the whole thing. If the blind lead the blind, the scripture, Jesus said, they all fall in the ditch. And he says, just pray God to open your eyes in this last days. That should be our prayer. God, open my eyes. God, don't give me the fortitude and the rationale to be able to explain away every paradox in this message. Just give me, I to see. 
I don't need to study it and, and resolve every paradox. Well, Brother Branham said this. Well, we got to figure out why that is because that that's hard to understand. Don't try to resolve paradoxes. If he said it, believe it and ask God to open your eyes. We need to be completely awake to the season that we're living in now. Where God has placed us specifically because the season dictates the hope of the labor. What season are we in? Are we in terror season? What season are we in? Because the, the season that you're in dictates what you expect to see in the labor that you're undertaking in the time that you're living. Brother Bram said, now it's seed time. He says, or bride time. He says, the shucks are dead. The shucks are dried up. There's no life in the shuck. He's passed through the church ages to go on to make something else. What was that? The bride. He says, if I taught you, and this is another statement, if I taught you a Methodist message, it would take no effect on you. This is bride time. But did you realize another statement? He says, did you realize we've moved on from that? We are in the bride time, the selecting time. The time that the bride, they said we would have. This is bride time. He says it's selecting time. He preaches an entire sermon called the choosing of a bride. It is selecting time. It is bride choosing time, which brings us directly to the scripture says, I will come again and receive you, which means to select or to choose unto myself. Brother Branham brought a scriptural message. This is selecting time. This is bride time. This is seed time. And he says we are at the end time, the harvest time. And the harvest time requires laborers. It requires farmers. You're going to have a harvest, you have to have farmers. He said this is not the day of Pentecost. The Pentecostal age is past. Pentecost is gone. This is harvest time. And you have to understand what Brother Branham is referring to. He's not referring to Pentecost as the experience. He's not adding, he's not taking away what God has already added back to the church in the last order of the Reformation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the restoration of the gifts. Once that's been added, it's always going to be a part of the church. But he's trying to get us to understand that's not the anointing that we're living under to merely be filled with the Holy Ghost and receive a restoration of the gifts. But outside of those three stages is the wheat formed. The last part is for him to step into it himself, he says. The fourth life messenger must come to cause that last order of the Reformation to be quickened into an invincible army. So when when we use the term Pentecost, we must use it in the same way that Brother Bradham intends it. And he is trying to caution us to not be caught in living in the glare of another age. He says the day of Pentecost, the Pentecostal age is past, the Pentecost is gone. This is harvest time. He says in another place, so in the last days, now you see, it's wheat time now. It's getting harvest time. This is not Luther's age. This is not Pentecost age. This is the bride age. We've been moved by the baptism of the Holy Ghost into the bride age. The baptism of the Holy Ghost has made way for the Holy Ghost itself to come right down into perfection where husband and wife are the self-same persons and the wife lives the life of Christ. It's wheat time now, harvest time, seed time. He mentioned several times about the seed that went into the ground and he's referring to Christ comes back up again in this last days. So he says, this is not the Pentecostal age. 
And Brother Branham is unequivocal about it. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion. He says the Pentecostal age is the Laodicean church age. And he says, and so we know what the Laodicean church age is. He says, and the Laodicean age is the Pentecostal organization, which all goes right straight into the mark of the beast. Don't you thank God that you've been smitten out of the church age you were brought up in? Because if you are still in this and the Laodicean church age is the Pentecostal organization, which all goes right straight into the mark of the beast. When the, when the scriptures unfolding in the revelations chapter three about the Laodicean church age, there's something very remarkable that happens. No other church age has it expressed to them. If any man hear my voice. And that's because no other messenger is given a voice as it is in Revelations 10, 7 in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. So something very unique happens at the end of the Laodicean church age. The, he becomes the messenger of Revelations 10, 7 and his message reveals a Christ which is standing at the door knocking. And you're only going to see it if you've caught the message to Laodicea. You've repented. Uh, you've got the eyes salve and you got gold tried in the fire. And you've answered the call of repentance by the messenger to that age. And then you're born again to see the word for your day. And there's a knock at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up, I will come into him and he will sup with me. We're going to commune. We're going to dine. And this takes place at the opening of the seals. There's an entrance opened up into this great fellowship with Christ. Because in no other age is Christ put out of the church except in the seventh church age. So in the seventh church age, Brother Branham shows us that Christ is now put outside of the church. He is kicked out of his own church. He's not there anymore. So what did we need? We needed a prophet that could stand there between two dispensations and blend them together and get us out of an exodus of the church age into the bride age. I thank God for the voice of that seventh angel. Otherwise, I'd be left in Laodicea. That's all going to go into the mark of the beast. And so if we're in a harvest time, we have to know that the harvest is great. As Jesus said in Luke 10. And what Jesus said is the laborers are few. So he says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe that's the time we're living in. The Lord of the harvest is sending out those to continue his great work. In the message, Shalom, Brother Bram says, now good morning. It means peace. Darkness is gathering. What is it gathering for? To show the light. Isaiah 60 verse 1, rise and shine for light, the light is come to you. Brother Branham preached this scripture in such a way to say this day, this scripture is fulfilled. That's the reason I can say shalom, the light has come to you. What is the first characteristic of Christ in his coming and in the rapture? The Lord is my light. In my salvation, Psalms 27, 1. So this is his first characteristic as the Lord descends. He's light. And he says, the light has come to you. What light? The light. God's peace to the elected woman, to the elected lady. Those who God, before the foundation of the world, called out and ordained to that. The rest of them will never see it. See what? The light. They'll never know nothing about it. And he says in 20 paragraphs later, this is a new day. And he says, hallelujah. And I join with his hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a new day. 
This is a day that we should rise and shine in the power of Jesus Christ. Gross darkness settling upon the earth. There should be a new day for us. Yes, indeed, doing it just the way he does it. Hey, man, I love that. What is the new day? Doing it just the way he does it. This is a new day. That's why it's okay as bride members when we come in contact with another bride member. It doesn't matter what time of the natural day it is. You can say good morning. And I've done it many of times and been corrected. Oh, brother Aaron, you mean good night or good evening? I go, no. I thought if you're bride, I say good morning. Because brother Branham said shalom, good morning, peace. Thy light has come. It's a setting sun to Laodicea. It's a risen sun to the bride. It's a new day, a new light. The light has come to you. And he says this day is a day when we should rise and shine. It must be the Holy Ghost in action. That is what Christ of the mystery God has revealed. The Holy Ghost in action. Two words, in action. Not in action in that you're not acting, but the Holy Ghost moving, doing, living, expressing, doing it just the way he does it. Brother Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing it just the way he does it. Jesus said in John 9, 4, as Brother Branham said, the light has come to you. This is a day. Shalom. Good morning. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So Jesus expresses that the daytime is the time to work. The interval between the sunrise and the sunset. And it's contrasted by the night, where the night is when time to work ceases. Metaphorically, it's a time of death, a time for deeds of sin and shame. One place refers to it as a time of moral stupidity and darkness. Night is a time when the weary and also the drunk give themselves to slumber and sluggishness. The night is characterized by candles that can only light so much. And then in the nighttime, Brother Bram says the demons come out. In the nighttime, it's gloomy and it's sad. In the nighttime, it's a time of moral stupidity and darkness and weariness and drunkenness and slumber and sluggishness and work ceases. And it's a time of deeds of sin and shame. And listen, we must awake. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake for it is day. Awake for thy light has come. Now it is time to rise and shine. We're not slumbering in the darkness. There's not just a glimpse of candlelight. The light has come. It is the rising of the sun. That's the great paradox of it shall be light at the evening time. The evening time, it's a setting sun. It's gloomy. It's in that time where the, the sun is setting. But if you took a long nap in the afternoon and you woke up, you might think it's time for school. But yet it's a setting sun. It's a fading sun. But he says in this great prophetical par- paradox, it shall be light at the evening time. And Brother Branham ties that scripture to his ministry. It's indivisible from his ministry. His ministry was not representing an evening light as a setting sun, but introducing the paradox of the unexpected morning light. The unexpected, unanticipated, unforeseen manifestation of the sun at what is the evening time in the darkest hour the church world has ever lived in. When the church is blacked out and the moon is no longer reflecting the light of the sun, now the sun is risen. And now the sun is shining and the bride shining as the light of seven days in its full, full glory. In this time, in the time of the rising of the sun. And if that's the case, then 
We must say as he said, if we're going to do it the way he does it, I must work while it is day. Day implies opportunity. It implies provision. And it is the designated time and season for labor. Isn't it remarkable that Brother Brown is being asked, is the day of grace over? Should we continue in the evangelistic field? When we can be more dedicated and specific in our evangelism than any other age. That we, we understand what we're doing. We're not just trying to get people to recite the sinner's prayer. We're not just merely trying to say we baptized a hundred here and did this and did that. But look at the, the dedication that this church has labored in for decades. Not just merely be able to print materials um, that, that, that say this great thing happened, that great thing happened. But the establishment of a body where work continues. And that, and the labor and the vision of this church has not been the one, let's be the one that goes around telling everybody what to do and how to do it, but to identify the man of God in that country and let that man of God labor with the message in his language to bring a bride to the perfect expression of the word of God. And that can only be born when you recognize the word for your day. And we're not under a Pentecostal organizational idea of evangelism where we need our brand. We need our stamp. We need our influence because they need to listen to us to know what the brother Branham says. Get the message in the hands of a man of God and he'll preach the message exactly like we preach it in English. And I say sometimes they preach it a lot better than I do. I know that to be a fact. And I've got it in my language. I was, I, I, I don't know, I don't mean to speak out of turn, but I, when I read the, the faith challenge report, you know, it's very rare that the men that sit on this platform even appear in there. Yeah. It's not like every page you turn, there's brother Tim saying, what do you think about this? It's about what God is doing there. The work and the labor because it's time to work. This is the time to labor. And it's important that we have laborers who understand the season. Because Brother Branham said, I may not do it personally, but this message will introduce Jesus Christ to the world. That is our commission. And it is the rising of the sun. He says, and because I live, ye live also. And I'm not reading the statement here, but I'll make reference to it now. He says, because I live, ye live also. He says, speaking to his wife. So now he has taken this prophecy and he has made it an end time bride prophecy. Because I live, ye live also. Speaking of a time when his bride will become his wife or that union will transpire. And through that union, she's given life. Because I live, ye shall live, you will live also. When? Now. That's what the prophecy was. Speaking to his wife. Because he says, what a resurrection that was. What a resurrection this is. This is a resurrection. He says, and I live in you. And the message works that I, and the works that I do. Now he brings John 14, 12 to this very scripture. The works that I do will identify myself in you. He says, what a message. 
No wonder we've had a dark world of theology. But in the evening time, there shall come light again. There will be a resurrection in the evening time. It shall be light at the evening time. And when he says there will be a resurrection in the evening time, it shall be light in the evening time. He says this is what a resurrection this is. So we're not still waiting for this. We've received this. Listen to what he says in the message, Evening Messenger. Right before the seals are open, he says, we've come to the church dispensation's end time. That's what I read tonight. It shall be light in the evening time. So the light comes when the church dispensation is ending. He says, we've had plenty of dismal time, but there shall come light. The same S-O-N, the same sun that came and changed the dispensation then comes again. And he says, we've changed. We've changed dispensations. And in order to have a change in dispensations, the same sun that came and changed dispensations then has come again and changed dispensations. And how did it happen? Through a prophet. Brother Branham said John the Baptist was the keystone. He was the breach, blending two dispensations together. And he had to stand there, blending the dispensation of these of, of law and grace. And John comes in the breach, and he's there as the keystone, which is in that, that stone in the in the ark that holds the two together. But then he becomes so tied to the the the, the capstone, he's called the keystone, bringing forth the capstone. And Brother Brown said it was Jesus Christ personally who introduced the faith to them. And if the same things to repeat in this day, no wonder Brother Branham said the Elijah today is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my, there's such a beautiful pool. We must be working while we have the opportunity. The bride has entered the dispensation of the Lord's work. And you, as individual members, not as spectators, not as those that are just merely watching what is being done by those who are in offices and those who have specific callings in evangelism and missionary work, but all of us must be coming to our position to fully complete His purpose. As individuals, you must be seeking your calling. As much as you would expect uh, uh, Brother John Andes to labor and to pray and pray and pray to find the mind of God for the sermon that he preaches on a Wednesday night, you should be praying for what God would want you to do in your individual personal lives. The expectation you have for ministry and their dedication and faithfulness to what they labor in here should just be a mirror of what your dedication is to whatever your calling is. As husbands and wives and teachers and whatever it might be, you have the same type of dedication. Because as Christ is reflected through these men as God's dress wear, you likewise are declaring Christ in your neighborhood, in your families, in your home. And I would say with greater opportunity than we have behind this pulpit. We are laborers in his harvest time. And I, I, I want to reference this very quickly. Uh, having lost my time to maybe go very deeply in some certain things. The bride, just as the woman was given uh, sacred virtues that she was to keep. The bride has sacred virtues entrusted to her that she must keep. Because she has been given a charge, a commission, a commandment for redemption. 
You have a charge from God for redemption. And it's remarkable how Brother Brown places that. He says, because she was cast aside and she was used in the fall, she has been given, if I could say it this way, a, 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 a hidden mystery of redemption. She's been given a sacred charge for redemption because Satan used her in the fall. God's going to use her in the finality of redemption. Oh, praise the Lord. You talk about redemption. Satan came down in God's Eden and used the incarnation of a serpent to cause the woman to fall and use her to bring forth sin. And now at the end of the Laodicean church age, God comes down, incarnates a prophet to deliver a message that allow God to incarnate a people to bring forth triumph over death and sin in Satan's Eden because she was used in the fall. God's going to use her in the resurrection we've been given a sacred charge for redemption you can prove whatever has been lost in the fall has been restored the unity, the harmony, the dedication, the, the, the drive, whatever it might be and however it can be expressed. I've been very general this weekend perhaps maybe more specific last night but God has got to quicken that to you I can't tell you just how many times we often find ourselves, you know, wanting God just to spell it out, spell it out, spell it out. But that's not how perfect faith will work. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Listen to his language. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And what does the scripture say, or Brother Brown say, he will now fulfill through the bride that work? So we have the same, we're going to do it just the way he does it? And listen, if there's one thing I can express to you to understand the works of Christ, the works that I do shall you do also. There was one common factor to every single work that Jesus did. I do that which the Father shows me. Right. What I father see the father do, I do likewise. So it's not us in our minds trying to play tricks for the devil and reproduce the works of Christ and do what he did and turn water to wine and walk on water and do all that. The devil can impersonate so many things. But what he can't impersonate is divine revelation and communication with the father and you doing what God commissions you to do. And it'll never vary from the word of God. It'll always be in harmony with the word. So this should be our ambition. He says, what sustains me, what gives me drive, what gives me purpose, what becomes sustenance to keep me going is I must do the will of him that sent me. And that is exactly what will keep you, what will motivate you, will give you ambition. And what will actually put food on your table is to be completely consumed with his work and his will. Why will the righteous not be forsaken? Why will the seed not beg for bread? Because they will be in his duty. And in the line of duty, he has promised to take care of you. Just as Moses came up against the Red Sea, he knew, I'm in the line of duty. This has got to part. And in the line of duty, there's bread that came out of heaven. When you're in the line of duty, you will not despair for provision. That's my meat. Listen, men, don't run after higher salaries and better benefits and forsake this meat. It won't bring the blessing you think it'll bring. But when your meat is to do the will of him that sent you, 
and to finish his work. I am sustained. And we can say, I live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's my bread. And I esteem that greater than necessary food by this natural body. My spiritual meat and my spiritual food means more to me than natural food. Time and time again, Brother Brown said, I'd rather eat crackers and drink water than to forsake this word. And we should have the same kind of ambition if it means I sacrifice, if it means I lose opportunities, if it means I'm I'm made fun of and ridiculed, if it means I don't get the promotions, if it means our family isn't able to do all these other things that other people do. I want Christ. That's for me in my house. This is our meat. Daddy, why don't we do this? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Mommy, why can't I do this? My meat is to to finish his work and to do the will of him that sent me. As Brother Bram had already referred to. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And the end time prophecy and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my father. So he that believeth the works that... I do shall he do also. And that's been a promise to all ages. But and greater works. Because Brother Branham made greater works. than these shall I do an end time prophecy. He said he quotes this scripture. And he says that great promise today. He refers to it again. He says his word that's promised for this day. Why is it this day? Because he said because I go unto my father. And where in the scripture do you see specifically where he goes unto his father? Revelations chapter 5. And he came and he took the book. And that's why Brother Branham could say about these greater works. And in spoken word is the original seed. He says, what is it? Same seed. He quotes John 14, 12. And he says, what is it? Same seed. How can you plant wheat here and wheat here and say, I'm going to get cucumbers here and wheat here? You can't do it. The only way you're going to get cucumbers is plant cucumbers. Listen, farmers. Same seed. Where are those greater works going to come from? Same seed. But if you want a cucumber, start with the cucumber. If you want a church, start with the word of God. If you want a life of God, start with the word of God. Accept the word of God in its fullness, every measure of it. And if that fullness of God is in you, then the rain that's falling will produce exactly what's in your garden. Oh, hallelujah. God's a farmer too. And you're his field. And he's planted a seed in you. And in that seed is word seed. And if you'll just stay under that fountain. Stay under the word of God. Nourish the word of God. Then it'll bring out of you and produce exactly what he sowed in the garden. And listen, God knows what kind of material he's put into you. And the reason why we go through testings and trials is not to prove to ourselves, prove to God ourselves, but for us to be proven by God for ourselves. He's proving his word. He's proving your word. So the, so the trial is not for his satisfaction and for him to know what he put in you. He knows what he put in you. The trial is so that you know what he put in you. Hey, look at some of you. Look at all of you. Where else could we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Let troubles come. Let death come. Let ridicule come. Let great heartbreak come. But I can't leave this. 
And what did you find out when you were forsaken and everyone else left you? There was something in you that you didn't know you had. And maybe you thought, well, why am I not going? Why am I not falling? Why am I not going back into the world? Why am I not walking away from this message? Because God put something in you. And the test was for you to fully understand that what he put in you is real gold, not fool's gold. Brother Brown said, no matter what anyone says, I won't discredit them. Don't disfellowship them or discredit them. But I know what I'm tied to. He wanted me like this. He had me like this. I was made like that for a purpose. Young people, everyone that's listening today, he made you that way for a reason. He wanted me like this. He had me like this. I was made like that for a purpose. I had to be made up of all these qualities and so forth. And all these no accounts. So that he could dig it out of me. Oh, hallelujah. God, even as that husband over his vineyard, I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it day and night. I will dress it while God practices what he preaches. And he wants you to be a good farmer. And so he's a good farmer over you. And he knows the seed that he put in you. And he put these qualities in you so he could dig them out of you. Why? He says something in there. That was his word. And God has sowed word seed into you. And God's going to dig it out of you. John 14, 12. The great promise today. His word that's promised for today. The same seed that will produce exactly what's in your garden. And he quotes that scripture. He says, these last days. John 14, 12. These last days. Oh my. The great changing of time. We get into the beat Beat of the word. Find his purpose, the hour that we're living. And we know he often connected the greater works to the third pull. And the message a man can turn on the light. He says, listen, I just take you now and let this be personal. Let this be personal. Watch this. See, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His works that he did manifest itself. Now listen close. When he stood there in John 14, 12, he said, the works that I do shall you do also. Greater than this shall you do for I go unto my father. Now he said it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but that word will never fail. Now for at the last end of the age, where is them greater works going to come? And he says, we are here. And he's asking, though, who's going to do it? And he asked us before he said it to let this be personal. Let this be personal. If we're at the end, where are the greater works going to come? We are here. What did he write in the church age book? May God begin by his spirit to give us continuous life giving and prevailing revelation. Oh, if the church only could get could only get a fresh revelation and by it. And become by it the living word manifested. We would do the greater works and glorify our father in heaven. So it's we. The bride getting a fresh revelation. And by fresh revelation become by it. By the revelation the living word manifested. 
And then the living word manifested would produce the greater works and glorify God that is heaven in heaven by and through the members of his bride. Will this transpire? So let me ask this question. Coming back to the statements that Brother Branham makes in question and answers. Why would Brother Branham encourage us to keep farming in light of the faith that came to us at the opening of the seals? Because when he's preaching it prior, he says, I believe that through these seven thunders will be revealed something to give us rapturing faith. Why would he encourage us to keep farming? Because it's the only way to a harvest. It's the only way you can get there. The only way you're ever going to have a harvest is to keep farming. Brother Bram says in Christ revealed in his own word, when you watch nature, now we see where every age directly designed it out that we're in the last age. The shuck is pulled away. The thing that the, that's the matter with the message today, those who obtain it in their hearts must lay in the presence of the sun to get ripened. You can pick up the message and then let the sun, S-O-N, bake all the greenness out of you, making matured Christians. See what I mean? God is coming soon to receive his church. And we must have that type of Christians for him to receive. The wheat has got to get ripe. So understand the dynamics that makes you ripe. You're laying in the presence of the sun. You are in his conscious presence. That means he cannot be in another room. Take it from a lawyer. If you're going to sign an affidavit and you're going to affirm that you were in the presence of one when they signed it, you can't just be in the other room somewhere looking over your shoulder. You've got to be there in the personal presence of the individual. You cannot stream the presence of Christ. You cannot pull it up on an archive. It is when he personally comes to you. And if we're going to be in the presence of the son, he's not way out yonder in some other dispensation. But you have been raptured up quickly to me. And you are in the presence of the son. And in his presence, he wants you to get ripe. Because the Bible teaches that as soon as it is ripe. The sickle is thrust forth. So what is this? What is what is what are we waiting for? Our maturity. Making matured Christians. The wheat has got to get ripe. So if I could say it this way, our 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 way to a climax of the rapture is through a life lived by the word. We're not going to shout it down. And, and, and think of the folly of all these man-made revivals. You're going to shout it down. Listen, you know what brought the headstone down? A simple Kentuckian who stood there and said, maybe I'm just feeling this this way, but let him come. What brought Jesus Christ to the Jordan? Not his day planner. Not because he needed a bath. Not because he just happened to come into the area, but the forerunner was standing there. And the presence of the forerunner drew the word right to where he was. We're not shouting down a capstone. It has come through a prophet. And our climax to the rapture is going to be a life lived by the word. And so it must be expressed in young people, in marriage, in parenthood, in every aspect of our daily lives. Because we're ripening in the presence of the son for a rapture. And let let me put it this way. Our lives are the way to the change. 
I'm going to skip some things and perhaps we'll use them another time. And if we're in that meeting in the air, the millennium, just remind me and I'll share with you this little bit (laughs) that I'm skipping. But let me just say this. When Jesus said, whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up at the last day. He's prophesying that under the third pool, there will be a people that eat on the unfailing body word of the son of man. And they're given strength to fly above. She is now risen. It is prophecy of you in this hour. And brother Branham is talking about the third pool. He says it's properly identified. We know where it is. It's remarkable. If you follow the continuity of the message, we can come up with a lot of quotes that are like, well, we're not sure. We don't know. Could it be this? Could it be that? But at the end of 1963, he says, we now know what it is and what it does. And from that moment on, Brother Branham never refers to the third pull with the question mark. So people who use quotes to make the third pull mysterious are not reading from December 29th on 1963. Because after that, he says, we now know what it is and what it does. Thoroughly identified, thoroughly vindicated. He says, we know where it is. So the third pull is here. It's so sacred, I mustn't say much about it. The same language he's using about the seventh seal. It's the same language that's used about the coming. It's something that was so sacred to him, he was worried to say too much. He said, I'm so scared, I mustn't say much about it. As he told me in the beginning, he said this, say nothing of it. You remember that years ago. It speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. And who's the final voice to the final age? Brother Abraham said, God just speaks and the rapture comes. So what has been speaking, what has been done, what has been lived? He says, I've tried to explain to others and I made the others and I made a mistake. This will be the thing to my opinion. I don't say the Lord tells me this. This will be a thing that will start the rapturing faith for the going away. Rapturing faith. So if there's rapturing faith, there must be rapturing works. Because works is faith expressed. And if we have rapturing faith, we must have rapturing works. Works, Brother Bram says, that show that faith has already took a hold. And this bride will live a life that shows rapturing faith has already taken a hold. He says this is for the bride. Going home of the bride. We've got something different. He says, this is the bride age. We're in the bride age. What is it? It's for the bride, a going home of the bride. And we know the rapture starts with the Lord himself descending with a shout. What is that? The message of the hour that we've received. The living bread of life bringing forth the bride. I made one of those mistakes of not marking the time that I started. So if I go by my watch... It's well into the afternoon because I don't change my watch. That's two hours later for me. So if I preach long enough, I'll think the evening service just started and we got plenty of time. (laughs) Don't worry. Because worrying won't do you any good if I'm long. (laughs) And the four, and I want to just be very specific here, and I think we'll be able to just draw uh, uh, draw to a conclusion. That'll be one way to end it. Lose my voice. But it speaks for itself. Brother Branham gives the five manifestations of the third pool. He calls them temporary manifestations. And you'll see that each one of them essentially transpires just in daily life. As the need dictated it. As a fisherman, I take great comfort in knowing one of them happened while he's fishing. 
Those who hunt happened while he was hunting. And then there's one that happens in fellowship. And then there's an instance that happens when there was a need with his wife. And what does it show? That the third pull demonstrates a care and a love for the spouse. That's what's demonstrated in that. And and then the fourth manifestation is what I want to look at. Because there's parts to this sometimes that we leave out. And the fourth manifestation of the third pull was October 1963. Brother Adam is hunting in Colorado. And there's a, there's a great storm that was going to impact him personally and could have been dangerous to him personally. And it's under that third pull that he speaks the word and he says, clouds, you roll away, sun, you shine. And I want you to, to catch this about the third pull. The results of that were essentially public. Because even the guy at the gas station says, oh, well, I noticed that the, uh, the, you're supposed to get a real, real big one around here and it, it didn't happen, didn't transpire. But the very, it was a very manifestation of the third pull, but people miss it. So it's not like when the third pull's made manifest, people are going, oh, wow, that, you know, this is, this must be God. This must be scripture being brought to pass. It's not evident. And we often associate correctly, Brother Bram speaking to the storm. As being the spoken word, having an impact, controlling nature, bringing forth weather that would keep the prophet out of harm's way. But he says when he tells the story in one place, and I started walking down the mountain. And when I did, the third pull is still in operation. He says, I heard a voice say, why don't you walk with me? And I said, Lord, the greatest privilege I've ever had. So I want you to notice something about this, at this season that we're living in now, and the time that we're living in now, the heart of God in the third pool. The real heart purpose of God, the real reason why God is doing these things, is not just to, uh, just to demonstrate signs and wonders, not just to do great things, but to draw you close to His heart, to bring you to a perfect faith, to walk with Him, to trust Him, and to have an attitude of trust, and to believe Him always. And so the real heart of God in the third pool, it was not the big signs. It was not a bunch of wonders. But he said, will you walk with me? What God wants to do under the open of the word and the revealing of these great mysteries is walk with you. I've clearly demonstrated my presence with you. I've thoroughly vindicated this message. I've vindicated my love for you. I've vindicated my presence with you. I've thoroughly vindicated and identified this third pool. Now let me walk with you. He wants to walk with you. And when Brother Brandon began to walk with him, it was just like Adam walked with him. I, I don't know, in our minds, do we picture another man walking next to Adam? Or was Adam having fellowship in flesh with the invisible God? By faith, he knew he was there. He knew when he would come. He'd maybe look over at his, at his, at the woman and say, he's here. And they would walk with them. Don't worry, honey. There's a man here who can turn on the light and rapture that church. And he says, would you walk with me? And God brings him to the very purpose of this third pull. The full purpose of the opening of the word. Walk with me. Walk with me. Walk in scripture means to regulate yourself to your manner of life, your conduct. Walk with me. 
your manner of life, making due use of every opportunity, uh, walking in a conduct and character and thought and attitude and behavior. Walk with me. Amos 3, 3 says, do two walk together except they make an appointment and have agreed. What's what the word suggests that they make an appointment. I'll meet you there. He's made an appointment. God keeps his appointments. And he begins to walk through what he calls virgin timber. Never been touched by man before. Here he is. It's a, it's a figure of the Garden of Eden. Adam walked with God. Now a son of, uh, a son of God, uh, born of a sinful flesh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those thoughts that come forth from God in simplicity. Now he's back walking with God on a mountainside with virgin timber and they begin to walk together. And as he's walking with God, he's communing with him. And he said in the message, he that is in you. He that is in you. And he says he, in that sermon, he's trying to find that person that he can vindicate himself through. He talks about living that life and walking together. He says, just walking and rejoicing. I was saying, they're communing. I know you're walking with me. And what a privilege. There's nobody greater I could be walking with. The very God. And as I was walking. As I was walking. Walking along, something happened to me. As I went along like that, something taken place all of a sudden in every motion principle. I was a boy. I thought as a boy, just walking with him, nothing extraordinary. The organ wasn't just hitting all the right minors. And putting the B sharp over the D minor and doing all the things that sound, that might sound really weird, but just all those little different things that made the music wasn't just right. And it's just kind of mesmerizing and everybody's kind of worked into a frenzy. And I was sharing it with brother Derek. Yeah, I like it when we sing and see and we can sing in the low octave and then after the bridge, kick it up into the high. It's always really good to get the people excited. And he just kind of blinked at me like, what are you talking about, brother Aaron? None of that's happening. It's just walking with him. Just walking. And as he's walking with him, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's changed. Hand is young. I feel young. I have all my energy back. All the vitality, all the strength I had as a young boy. In every motion, in every principle, here he is. I'm back to young again. What took, what brought the change? Walking with him. He's just walking and all of a sudden he just changes. And in every motion, every principle, I'm young. He says, and there I look, there comes my wife, and she's young again. What is the third pool going to bring us to? One day, in every motion, in every principle, all of a sudden. He says, I looked here and I thought, now what's happened? And I thought, yes, I'm walking with him. The walk with him is what changes you. It's your manner of life and walking him that's going to change you from mortality to immortality. Walking with him. We're not just sitting around waiting for something to happen. We're not just treading water waiting for someone to come and rescue us from Satan's Eden. We are ripening in the presence of the sun for a rapture. We're not just holding on. Oh, if the church could just stay together, if we could just uh, keep together, we're just holding on, just holding on. One day, one day, that 900 foot Jesus is going to split the sky and we're not going to, we're going to have held on to the end. Listen, don't take foolish virgin scripture and apply it to you. 
There's a people who will endure to the end. And when books are open on white throne, they will enter into eternal life. That's not bride scripture. You cannot fall. Bride cannot fall. She is now risen. And now you are walking with him. And you're not just hoping you can hold on till the change. Your walk is going to bring the change. Walking with him. Yes, I'm walking with him. And my manner of life, in my attitude, in my faith, is going to bring about the change. Enoch walked with God and was translated. Noah walked with God and entered into the ark. Abraham walked with God and he and Sarah received new bodies. The change under the open of the word will come by walking with him. The word speaks to you and says, walk with me. So I say, keep farming. Do what you're supposed to do today. But brother Aaron, it's harvest time. It's rapture time. Rapturing faith time. These bodies need to be changed. I've got to have faith to change these bodies and and go in the rapture. And he says, you can't get over a toothache. What does that mean? Overcome every day. Just overcome every day. Just overcome every day. I'm walking. I'm just walking. Denying the devil. Denying the devil. Applying the token. Do what I need to do. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm in the line of duty. A problem comes. Lord, I'm in the line of duty. The battle's yours. Boom. He takes care of it. I'm walking with him. Do you know when you fight battles that you lose? When you leave the wall. It's good. You need to know what your calling is and what your position is. Otherwise, you won't know why you're fighting. And many times you're fighting battles down in the valley that you should never be in. And the fight is transpiring because you're not in the line of duty. And God will get you back. But it's wonderful to know when the battle's in the line of duty. Because that one's the Lord's. And there's a lot of fights we've rolled up our sleeves to take. And you're doing it outside of the line of duty. And what you need to do is just walk away from that one and get back in the line of duty. The fights will find you. Don't go looking for them. Bless God, I'm a bride of Christ. I'm going to go look for a fight. No, it'll find you. Just keep farming. Do what you're supposed to be doing today. Stay right on farming. And now, you don't need to look at your clock. I'll tell you, it's, this clock tells me it's 1222. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's long. I just know that's where we are. And I'm praising God for what he has said. And I'm looking forward to what he will say. But I'm going to enjoy what he's saying right now. Because I believe I'm coming to an end. And you're only going to get there by walking with me. So stay with me. Brother Branham's telling a story about a woman who came through a prayer line one time and was prayed for. He tells it several times, kind of in the early, around 53. He said a woman had stomach trouble and another one with the growth on their neck. And the Spirit of the Lord told them that they were healed. Told her to go home and eat. Why the woman wouldn't eat. She tried for six weeks nearly, and she'd just make her so sick, but she kept trying. In one morning, while in breakfast, the dishes were being washed. And the way he tells the story, there she is in the kitchen, just washing dishes. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't outside laying, uh, laying before the Lord, reciting prayers and quoting things and, uh, and fasting and those things. Even though there's times where much prayer and fasting is needed in the situation. And we avail ourselves to every part of the scripture. And we, we exercise those at the time that it dictates it. But right now, here's just a housewife. Here's a woman who's got a job to do. And she has a need. And the word has been spoken over her. And she's just sitting there washing dishes. 
And she felt a cool something sweep over her. And every time Brother Bram tells a story, it's a sweep. He says she found out she could eat. And she ran to her neighbor to tell her about it. And she found her neighbor just screaming and shouting. The growth on her neck had left. He said, what was it? The angel of the Lord, six weeks later, passed through that neighborhood. What was it? The angel of the Lord had seen her faith. It was passing through the neighborhood. She kept doing what she was supposed to do. And you know what it was? It was the angel of the Lord passing through that neighborhood of those things that he had pronounced. If he pronounces it, it's his obligation, not mine or yours. It's your obligation to keep on believing. If you are believing, you will be leaving. Hallelujah. If you want to be leaving, then just keep believing. That might be hard for the translators, but you get it. If you are believing, you will be leaving. Just keep believing. It's his obligation, not yours. Lord, I'm in the line of duty. If he pronounces it, it's his obligation. What has he pronounced over this bride? They were just going about their daily lives. At the sink working. And a sweep came. And it manifested healing. Brother Bradham said divine healing has more to it than just divine healing. Divine healing only says that there's a God who's coming again. So what was he foreshadowing? What was that divine healing expressing? What does divine healing speak of? It's the earnest of our resurrection. What was he expressing in this healing? What were all these healing lines? And what were all these manifestations of healing expressing? There's a resurrection that's coming. What a resurrection this is. There's more to divine healing than just divine healing. So he's expressing something to us in this. Think very maturely about this. I'm washing the dishes and all of a sudden a cool sweep comes. Just in the normal, ordinary day. She had a need. And she was doing what she was supposed to do. And the angel of the Lord visited her. I was thinking last night while I was ministering and I had purposed in my heart to share it this morning. And even Brother Bisco had it on his heart as he came to the office. He expressed some things. And I, I ministered on family and fatherhood and, and, and motherhood at home quite a bit. And I will look into the congregation and I'll see single mothers raising their children who have no hope for another husband. And you, and you realize, I can't change the word for their sake. And then the word can come along sometimes and show how he is a father to the, to the, the one that doesn't have a husband. And the church family is there to support the widows. And there's things that make up the difference in circumstances such as that. And I preach often to women who want so badly to have children. And it's remarkable that the very seed of Abraham was promised to be fruitful. And you see, barrenness is always a fight that the women in Abraham's lineage had to fight. Barrenness. But did you know in the Bible, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but in the Bible, there's not one woman in the Bible who was barren who did not have a child. And how I came across that was somebody writing an article that was critical of the Bible because the Bible does not give any example to women who are barren of them not conceiving. And therefore they have nothing to get put their hope in or to believe for in barrenness. And that's what quickened it to me. Praise God. He didn't put one woman in the Bible who remained barren so that you would never put your faith in that woman. 
but that you would put your faith in a God who has pronounced it and it's his obligation and that you're going to keep believing and keep believing and you're going to do what you're supposed to do and you're going to live for him and you're going to wash the dishes and you're going to serve and you're going to do what you're supposed to do and one day one day in an ordinary day honey something's happened you're going to be a daddy If you're going to see the supernatural, if you're going to conquer enemies, it's going to happen while you're farming. David was farming when he was anointed to be king. After anointed to be king, he went right back to his ordinary life. Just an ordinary day, tending sheep, and he's summoned by the prophet to be anointed to be king. Doesn't change what he's doing. He goes right back to the field. He summoned to the king's chamber to play when the evil spirit would come on him. When he was done, he went right back to the field. And as we read in 1 Samuel 17, David was back to tending sheep when his dad asked him to go on an errand. And we know what we're reading. We're reading of the triumph over Goliath. And we're so familiar with the story that David defeated Goliath. But do you realize that Goliath came when he was just doing what his dad asked him to do? His brothers may have questioned his motive. But his dad said, David, take this to your brothers and to the captains. David was just doing what his father said to do. And in his ordinary life, doing what the father said to do, he happens upon a scene where a man is standing there defying the armies of the living God. And David had enough faith to believe that no man gets away with defying the armies of the living God. And Brother Branham said, Jesse gathered his sons together in the evening and read from the scrolls and read about how God visited his people and performed these great miracles. And Brother Branham said, that gave David faith. So what gave David faith? Family devotions, reading from the word. And David had enough faith when the man the size of Goliath was standing there saying, I defy you, give me a man. And you know what? A little boy walked up. Everyone saw a boy, but what did God see? A man. What made him a man? He was willing to believe, just simply believe that this man's defying the armies of the living God. How dare he defy the armies of the living God? And he said, what are you going to give the man that kills this man? And they all knew what David was asking. I'm going to do it. Give me a chance. And when he comes before Saul, you're just a kid. And David is only there on an errand. He's there on an errand. It's a normal day for him. It's an everyday life as a sheep farmer. And he comes up against a Goliath. And faith tells him, this man cannot defy us. And then Saul says, you're but a youth. He says, but let me tell you my testimony. I am a sheep farmer. And one day I was looking after the sheep and a bear came. And because I'm a sheep farmer and that's my responsibility, I had enough faith to say, no bear, you're not doing it. And I defeated the bear. And one day, I'm a sheep farmer. I was tending sheep. And a lion came after my sheep. And I said, no, lion, you're not going to do it. These are my sheep. And he whooped the lion. So when it came time for David to have faith to defeat the Goliath, he had faith from his victories in everyday life. What came up every day, what he overcame every day, that gave him power. That gave him faith to defeat the Goliath that was taunting the entire army. He says he's defied the armies of the living God. And he said, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. 
David's testimony wasn't great. While I've been away, I went to uh, ranger school. Or I went and did buds training with the SEALs. And I've got a high-powered rifle. And David didn't brag on it. They actually tried to give him armor. He goes, I haven't proved these. I can only use what I've experienced in everyday life. I can only use the tools of my trade, what I'm accustomed to, where I've seen, what I've seen God use before. This is what David was drawing from, is not some fantastic pie in the sky to defeat Goliath. His victories and just doing what he was supposed to do. If you're going to see the supernatural, it'll be while you're farming. And here are these women. Brother Bram talks about, we'll invite the musicians to come. We'll create expectation. As I was walking, all of a sudden, in every motion, principle, I was a boy. I was changed. He thought, what happened? That's right. I'm walking with him. A woman sitting there doing dishes and she feels a cool something sweep over her. And she's healed. Divine healing has more to it than just divine healing. It says that there's a God who's coming again. It's the earnest of our resurrection. There is no divine healing. There is no resurrection. Brother Branham has asked about this question and answers in 1964 part one. He says, but those who are sleeping in the dust will be awakened first. And these corruptible bodies will put on incorruption and the rapture and grace of the Lord. And then we'll all get together. And when they begin to get together, then we which are alive and remain shall be changed. These mortal bodies will not see death. But just of a sudden, they'll be like a sweep go over us and you're changed. And you're turned back like Abraham was from an old man to a young man, from an old woman to a young woman. What's this sudden change? After a while, you're traveling like a thought thought and you can see those then who are already resurrected. When are you going to see them after the change? How are you going to come to the change? The same way he's shown us through scripture, the same way he's shown us in the message. Don't try to be funny. Don't try to be a fanatic. Don't change anything you're doing. Keep living the life. Keep living the life. The bears will come. The lions will come. The Goliath will come. And then one day that last enemy, which is death, will come. And you'll say, right out of my way, devil. While walking with him. And one day the sweep will come. And all of a sudden, you'll be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. How are we going to get there? A life lived by the word will be the word expressed. Can you give me the key? You're playing the key of G, Waymaker, if you could. I know that's higher than you normally sing it. I want to read one last statement. Brother Branham says, from all the way back from Luther, all the way down through the age, it ought to be the fullness of the gospel now. The power of God to ripen. The light that's been shown through justification, sanctification, the Pentecostal age ought to ripen the bride tree for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how he defines that. That Christ could be manifested in his church as one person. Him and his wife. Him and his bride. What are you doing? You realize if we make the greater works a pulpit ministry, then very few of us would have it. 
the greater works of the bride's ministry. What are they? I must do the work of him that sent me while it is day. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. What is it we're saying? The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And the ripening of the bride tree for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ could be manifested in his church as one person. Him and his wife. Him and his bride. Amen. This is the hour we are living in. This is the light of the day. Walk in it. We didn't come together to talk about it. We've come together to walk in it. To live it. To apply it. To manifest it. The greatest thing that we can see is lives lived by the word. And the miracles and the signs and wonders of the healings and those things are to give you faith to overcome daily. If he can do that, he can do this. If he can do that, he can do this. What he's done then is evidence of what he can do right now. I want to live in the now. Now what? Live the life. The change will happen while you're farming. The miracles will happen while you're farming. The supernatural will happen while you're farming. We don't need to try to drum it up or manufacture it. We'll bear it. We'll express it. They will follow us. Amen. Let's just stand to our feet. Oh my. Can we bow our heads? Is there a heart's cry? Say, Lord, I surrender all. All to you I give, Lord. Lord, everything, all that I am, have preeminence. What was constantly on my heart for you, young people, when I spoke about the frustration of purpose, is camp settings are so unique. It's out of the ordinary. It's out of the way. God becomes so real to us. And we go back home and we go back to the grind and we go back to school. He begins to feel distance from us. We begin to despair. And we start thinking to ourselves, when is family camp? When is summer camp? Because you want to feel that again. And what God wanted to express to you this weekend is walk with me. When I was there with you then, I'm with you now. And I'll be there tomorrow. But today, walk with me. When you go to school, I am there. When you go back home, I'm there. When you're out shopping, I'm there. When you're doing an assignment online, I'm there. Wherever you go, he said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And that's what he told Brother Branham when he was walking with him. He said, you kept your promise. Brother says, yes, I've kept it. He said, I'll keep mine. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, he didn't leave you at the end of winter camp. He's not coming back for summer camp. He was with you all the time, walking with you, speaking to you desiring to have fellowship with you now what walk with him let him take you to his bosom every day 
pray. Read your Bible. Listen to the message of the hour. Ask what you can do to help at home. Ask what you can do to help at school. Busy yourself with the family of God. Busy yourself with the things of God. Live the life. A gracious heavenly father. Brother Branham says, Lord, in the, the obligation of the people, they just have to believe. He said, when you pronounce it, when you pronounce it, it's their obligation to keep on believing. And he said, it's my obligation to stay here and work for him. Lord, since I'm the one praying, I want to make a declaration. I'm going to stay here and work for you. Though I've been tried and tested and I've been assailed, I will not put this sword down. Lord, I don't know what others see, but I see a bride ripening. I don't see a sick body. I see a well body. I don't see young people wandering. I see young people coming in line with the word of God. I don't see a bride going down. I see her going up. Lord, I want to add my voice to the voices of the men that sit behind me and those that stand before me. And we will not put this sword down. We will keep at our duty. We'll stay at our post. We'll keep laboring in this gospel and doing what we're supposed to do because it's our obligation to stay here and work for you. And Lord, may the people believe and keep on believing. And may we be thoroughly convinced that if the supernatural is going to come, it's going to come while living for you. If you want to do something out of the ordinary, if you want to do something to get our attention, Lord, you do it. But I'm not going to stop doing what I'm asked to do. I'm going to keep on living. I'm going to be a father. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to be a wife. I'm going to be a mother. I'm going to be a son. I'm going to be a daughter. I'm going to be a good employee, a good employer, a good student, a good instructor. I'm going to live with decency and integrity. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be circumspect. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to apply the token. I'm going to put away all filthiness of the flesh. I'm going to deny all this excess and nonsense. Live a strict life for your kingdom. Because if there's going to be a change, it's going to come while I'm farming. Bless the people, I pray, as I commit them to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask these things. Amen. And you are here. Moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you, oh you are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship you.
the seven seals. He says, come. He's receiving his subjects to himself. He's saying, walk with me. Walk with me. He's saying, I got a job to do. Would you finish it with me? When John made the introduction to Jesus Christ, Jesus said, John, I'll take it from here. And what did he do? He walked with them all the way to their upper room. And now in this resurrection, just as he appeared to them on the road of Emmaus and he appeared and he appeared and he remained with them until they would be there at the upper room. He is here walking with you once again on the road to Emmaus, encouraging you, opening your eyes, breaking bread for what? One day, a meeting in the air. He said, just walk with me. Walk with me. Brother Branham, you finished your course. You ran your race. You're my good and faithful servant. Well done. I'll take it from here. And now he's walking with you. You want a way made? Walk with him. You want a miracle? Walk with him. You want light? Walk with him. Because he's a way maker, miracle worker, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now's the time to worship. Now's the time for blessing and honor and glory and power. We worship Him alone. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy. Is He worthy? Then give it to Him. Maybe you wanted to give voice while the word was going forth, but you had to hang on to the words and I go fast and you don't know when I'm changing. But right now, now's the time. Could some of the young men say, I worship you. Some of the young ladies say, I worship you. Some of the parents say, praise be to God. This I believe. This is nothing but the truth. Be it unto me according to thy word. Blessing and honor and glory and power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You think magnify the Lord with me? Taste and see. When? Is, is it D or F? Whatever you want to do. Oh, hallelujah. We give you praise. We give you blessing. We give you honor. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? John said everything on earth, under earth, in the sea, out of the sea, everywhere, heard I, John, saying, can the bride let it come forth? Let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed say so.
not a special, not a choir stand full, not a congregation singing within the cathedral, but I picture all of us leaving and like looking forward to tomorrow and looking at one another and say, Brother Matthew, come glorify the Lord with me. Brother Nathan, let's magnify the Lord together. And we're walking and we're looking at the world and we're looking at the harvest and we're looking at what's before us. We're saying, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let's exalt his name together. How are you going to do it? I'm going to live the life. A life lived by the word. That's going to be the manifestation of the name of God. Come, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us glorify the Lord. Let's exalt His name forever. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The seventh seal means more to me on hump day than it does on Sunday morning. I love this word. This word's for life. Oh, magnify.